and gents, and welcome to episode 53 of the Controlled Interest Gamecast, where we talk about video games and everything happening in the industry. This week, I'm joined by Dom. 53. And uh, Jordan. Previously on AMC's The Walking Dead. A uh, big week for us. We had a lot going on. Uh, last week, Jordan talked about getting his Switch. Uh, we all talked about being able to play episode 3 of Telltale's Walking Dead, A New Frontier. Uh, and yeah, so as far as what I've been playing, that was a big chunk of it. I mean, as far as like, you know, divvying up the pie, not so much as time because episodes aren't that long, which is cool. Um, so I played episode three. It's going to be, uh, we're going to be talking about that later in a topic, our, our review of it and talking about, uh, our thoughts on episode three as a whole. So I don't want to get into that at all. Um, I've also been playing a ton of Mass Effect Andromeda. Um, nothing's changed from what I said last week. I still think it's a solid game. Uh, animations for me don't necessarily pull me out of it too much. Obviously, it's a concern for a lot of people, and it is a, an evident problem, but I'm still having a blast with that game. Uh, really fun, really great. Characters are still growing on me, having a good time there. Uh, and the biggest surprise for me this week, I tweeted about this, and I think Dom saw it. I just decided um, to go back and play Dark Souls again on a new save, made a new character. I was just feeling it. I felt like playing some Dark Souls, as one does. Man, I still love that game. Like... <laughs> That game is just it's a goddamn masterpiece, man. Yeah, that game holds up so well. And so I'm playing it through backwards compatibility on Xbox One. Um, and I haven't had any performance issues except for I just got to Blighttown. But even just playing that on 360, even playing it on PC, that thing has major frame rate issues. It always has. Um, and the game just holds up really well. It's Dark Souls. It's amazing. Uh, Dom, you'll probably speak to this too. And... Uh, Jordan, maybe with Bloodborne, because I think you played through it a couple of times or played a lot of it. Those games, it's all about confidence. Like, when you first enter those games, they shit on you so hard. But the more and more you become accustomed to those games, it just feels like home, you know? Like, you're like, oh, it just feels so good. Like, running through... I remember playing through Dark Souls and going and fighting the Capra Demon for the first time, and I hated that fight so much. And when I started up that character, I beat him in one interaction, and it was just because I had that that skill set, you know, it, that 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 soul skill set that just stays with you. It's like riding a bike. And it really is because when I went, recently went back to Bloodborne, I was surprised at like how quick I picked it right back up. Um, yeah. And then thinking of Dark Souls, <clears throat> I could tell you, I could like close my eyes and play through that whole first area, that undead burg. I could, I swear to you, I could probably do that blind. Yeah. Like, that's how well it's just ingrained <laughs> in my head. Probably because yeah. I, you know, went through it two hundred times dying when I first played it, but. Exactly. Um, it just holds up, man. Really, It's interesting that you say that, Jared, about it holding up, because going from Bloodborne and trying to go back to the roots of the series, I tried playing both Demon Souls and Dark Souls, and I was just having a tough time getting into it. Not that uh, I just hated it or anything, but just it was very, very different from Bloodborne, and yes, it was a lot slower, so... Um, it's interesting that we have different perspectives because you've never played Blood- Bloodborne, so um, it's oh, yeah. it's such a weird thing. Because in and I figured out like the biggest difference in Bloodborne. Obviously, it's faster, but in Bloodborne, the stamina isn't really a factor nearly as much as it is in Dark Souls. That's like a huge thing. I finally figured it out. Um, you can like screw up uh, your stamina, and it, it reloads so quickly that there's rarely are you ever really punished. But in Dark Souls. When you screw up or you you know make one extra swing, you're just completely screwed. Yeah, it's um, a little bit more forgiving, it seems like. I don't know if I would agree with that. I think that maybe just the stamina relative to each of their games... Right, compared loads, to each other. 
Yeah, just because I think you're moving so quick in Bloodborne that uh, even if you do only mess up a couple steps, I think you do get punished really fucking hard because of the difficulty of the enemies, but also because um, you need that stamina bar as full as possible to be able to keep jumping, like dashing around and... um, because there's no really defense at all. There's no way. You, there's no shields or anything like that. You know. Yeah. Um, uh, the other thing. So before we before we I move on to what you guys have been playing. The other thing. So I was playing through Dark Souls. I'm up to like I said Blight Town. Um, so I'm going through the game at a fairly decent pace. Um, but one of the things I was interested in looking up is completion rate for Dark Souls. Um, because I was interested because a lot of people don't finish games. Period. Right. And for Dark Souls, it seems like that that number might skew even lower just because they are so difficult. But what I found uh, through my research is that um, Bloodborne, Dark Souls 3, and Dark Souls 2 all hovered at about 35% completion rate, meaning that people who popped that first achievement for, like, starting up the game uh, popped the one for beating the game, right? Um, And uh, this is for trophies as well. For uh, Dark Souls, that number goes down to 8%. Wait, but completion rate on trophies and achievements wouldn't be whether they beat the game. It would be whether they got a thousand points or a platinum. Right? No, no, no. Sorry, not completion of the game, not completion for achievements and trophies. So you just you saying, go to the trophy that you get for beating the game, and you see you know what percentage of people got that trophy. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's so uh, uh, it, where did you get your data? Was it like uh, PlayStation trophies and? Uh, achievements. Yeah, yeah, and it wasn't solely based on trophies and achievement. It wasn't like the trophies achievements. I'm just using that as uh, one of their pieces of evidence. But they also went in and looked at um, just the numbers on the back end and stuff like that. Um, so as the series progressed, all uh, so Dark Souls uh, two, Dark Souls three, and Bloodborne all hovered around 35. Um, I think a couple of them were higher than that. A couple of them were lower than that. But there were two or three points right in either direction. And then um, Dark Souls was at eight percent, which was interesting because that shows that. Um, I don't know if the games became more uh, more forgiving as they went on because all the games are really hard still. I'm not saying they're any easier. But I, I really think that I think uh, the other ones ease you into that world a lot, lot easier. The first boss in Dark Souls, uh, that demon that drops down, I think he's the hardest first boss out of any of the games. I haven't played Bloodborne, but I've watched a ton of gameplay. And it still seems to me like that's the toughest boss as far as getting introduced to the game so i think that might be what it is where people start the game and a lot of those areas i think dark souls as a whole is pretty pretty obscure um as far as uh moving forward in the game and i think dark souls is the 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 one that has that biggest wide of a gap there it's it's interesting i don't know it's it was just surprising to me to see the number drop so low you know it was i was gonna say uh, i think father gasqueen is 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 he the first boss in Bloodborne? So he could be, um, but I think for most people, it's the Cleric Beast. Yes, the Cleric Beast, yes. And for me, that's the hardest first boss out of all of them. That demon Jared was talking about, I found him really easy. Um, but Jared, what I was going to say is, I think the, the biggest difference in the, that for the reason for those numbers is less people knew what they were going, getting into with Dark Souls. That's um, true, too, yeah. And then the latter games, you know, if you bought those, you knew, like, this is going to be hard and you know, it wasn't like a surprise that you're easily going to quit. Maybe I think that's my guess as to what the the reason I think is for that. Cleric Beast is definitely first. I don't think you can do Father Gasqueen first. I was wrong. Um, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I, I'd have to look it up. Yeah, I think also might just have to do with the weird thing is like Dark Souls seemed like a much more niche audience. I mean, the games as a whole are a niche audience, but way more niche for Dark Souls. You would assume that the guys who are hardcore there would finish it, 
But I do think Dark Souls was the biggest case of, I have this really hard game, check it out. Somebody buys right. it or borrows it from a friend, tries it, and then gives they it back to me. Because, like, I'm not going to finish this goddamn game, no yeah. thank you. Whereas yeah. 2 was like, and then 3 kind of definitely went to a more general, in quotes, audience. Where people expected it to be hard, they knew what they were getting into, and they bought into that. Same thing exactly. with Bloodborne, right? So they were like, I'm in it for the long haul. No, I'm going to learn this. It's going to punish me, but I'm going to get used to this game. I think that's Bloodborne 2 announcement this year. Uh, w- yeah, one of my one of my predictions I want to make is that it's going to come out next March. It's going to be dated. I was looking at all From's releases, and all of them are in March. All all the Souls games and Bloodborne all in March. So it would make sense for them to announce it this year. Say, hey, it's coming out March 2018. Gives them enough time uh, to get the the marketing out there and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much what I've been playing. Some fun with Dark Souls, Mass Effect, Andromeda, and then uh, Telltale's Walking Dead. Um, what about you guys? So, <clears throat> I uh, also have Telltale's Walking Dead. We'll get into that later. Otherwise, uh, a little more Breath of the Wild. I didn't get back to Horizon at all this week like I wanted to. Um, <laughs> yeah, actually, probably when we're done. Yeah, when we're done here today, I'll probably have a chance to. But other than that, I grabbed Salt and Sanctuary, which just came out on the Vita, which is the it's essentially it's Dark Souls but two D. Um, which when you when you put it in those terms, you think well, so it's a Metroidvania game exactly. Um, it's just as hard, which I was surprised. Um, I thought, you know, it's so simple. There's only one plane of enemies and attacks that can be coming at you. It must be easier. No, it's hard as shit um, in the same kind of ways. Um, a lot of people wondering how it runs on the Vita. Uh, I, I haven't had any problems with frame rate or anything like that. Everything works. Uh, some of the text and the HUD elements are small, which is just... Uh, I guess a natural consequence of you know a Vita or you know a PS4 game getting ported to Vita, and then a lot of the, a lot of it is like really fuzzy like resolution wise, which I thought was odd. Um, seemed like a really weird arbitrary thing, and I'm hoping they can patch that out. But overall, like I really like it so far. I only have maybe two hours in, but it's super fun. It's great on the Vita, other than those than that those you know couple flaws. But overall, it's great. So also I think it was it's eight, eighteen dollars. So. It's also impressive because I, if I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure it's a two-person team. It's a husband and a wife, and the husband does all the right, programming right. and all that stuff, and the wife does all the artwork, <laughs> which is really crazy. So that's really cool. I'm excited. I want that game. I don't know if it has any plans to come to Switch, but it's definitely a game that I could definitely see myself getting on on Nintendo Switch if it's available. Um, so I hope it does eventually come there. Speaking of that, I uh, well, actually, both of you made a point that I want to speak on, Jared. Uh, I've noticed I'm thinking now that I have a switch I'm thinking about a lot of games that I probably never would have bought before but I'm thinking man if that was on switch I'd totally buy that you know it would work a lot better if I could t- carry it around um, and not just on the Vita like be able to carry it around and put it on my TV I agree then, I think it's a huge yeah. a huge area that Nintendo can tackle and we're seeing we're kind of seeing them tackle that with their attack on Indies. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I agree with you there. It's like I haven't had a chance to play this game. Having this handheld justifies me purchasing and playing it here, you know. So I agree with you there. Yeah, if they can keep, uh, if they can really get those indies rolling this later spring and into the summer when they don't have so many uh, exclusives and bigger AAA games coming out on the Switch, um, that would really fill in you know, those gaps. Buy a lot of those fill in those gaps and and yeah, tied me over. Um, and then the point I wanted to make on Dom's thing was you were talking about the text formatting be- being too small on yeah, Salt and Sanctuary. 
Yeah, so that's a, that's a common issue that I'm uh, noticing, and actually I wanted to bring that up with Zelda. Um, I guess I can just go ahead and start talking about what I've been playing, but uh, yeah, Zelda, the, uh, you know, of course, it seems like it's formatted for the TV version, and then on the handheld it looks, it's just, you kind of have to squint. It's way small for that handheld screen. And, See, I was going to um, make that comparison, but in, in the reverse, that I never had that problem with Zelda, and I am having Assault in Sanctuaries, because in Zelda oh, yeah, I never I, felt I noticed that issue. it immediately, and I think, um, you know... I don't want to make an excuse and say, well, it was really a Wii U game and they just ported it over like they should have took better care in the port. That's, you know, kind of Optimized bad porting it. right there. Right, that's bad porting optimization. Um, but um, hopefully, I'm really hoping because um, we'll get into my, or we'll get into our uh, Switch review discussion next week and I'll talk about some of my other nitpicks, but that's one of the big ones is I'm really hoping for the future later on this year that we're not still getting games that are um, just for the Switch and not, you know, a, a Wii U port, essentially. Um, I'm really hoping that they don't have these, like, text formatting issues and, and just stuff not uh, bouncing back and forth properly between handheld and TV mode. Um, so, besides that, um, I, I am just fucking loving Zelda. Um, I think... I've played. I've. I think I'm north of 20 hours at this point, so I'm probably. That was fast. 25, pushing 30. Yeah, like I, um, I couldn't get back to Mass Effect Andromeda this week. I I played, um, Telltale Walking Dead, uh, for our review. I played some snipper clips, like the first uh, pack of levels, and then played a little with my brother, and then I played a little bit of Shovel Knight. Uh, bought that again, even though I have it on cross by PS4, just because love uh, the way Yacht Club handles things, and I love Shovel Knight. Also, been having a lot of thoughts recently. I've been thinking like this parallel. They seem like they're kind of like the indie CD Projekt Red in the way people see them in the industry, and in the way they have the uh, goodwill of the people. You know? Do you guys see that? Yeah, I I, I can totally see the the one to one there. Yeah, um, but anyways, uh, played a little bit of those games, but yeah, man, I've just been non-stop on that Zelda, um, and I think at this point I can definitely say, um, you, we talked to, when it was first coming out and I didn't have a Switch, Jared and I were kind of saying, well, at least I know I felt skeptical that all these tens and almost perfect scores, not perfect, the game being perfect, but, uh, you know, 10 out of tens or 100s or whatever, all these huge scores coming out, and um, I just felt like the reviewers were wearing rose-tinted glasses, and they weren't really doing uh, the proper job, which um, they usually like to talk a lot about, you know, watching out for the consumer and things like that. So I definitely feel like they still failed uh, generally throughout the industry. The biggest websites um, failed to admit that this game has plenty of flaws and you know stuff that like mass effects just getting nailed to the fucking floor for these facial animations and they're not that much worse than horizon you know um and that's uh, comparing to other games but anyways i'm just saying a lot of things that zelda could get nailed for i'm just not seeing and i'm seeing those things in the game like wow really the the horse riding's really this rough or uh 
Um, you know, there's just features that I feel like should be there that aren't. The options are just fucking bare bones. There's no audio options, no video options. Um, of course, there's no camera sensitivity, uh, which is upsetting to me. Um, and there's just a lot of stuff missing there. Um, it does seem like a, a bit of a rocky port, even though it runs smoothly. It does seem like um, they could have done a better job with the Switch. But, you know, talking more about the Switch later on, um, I think that they rus rushed the Switch out for financial reasons, which I think that's obvious. I think a lot of everyone pretty much feels that way. So that's why they don't have any games or anything like that. But, um, yeah, man. Um, I do, I do really love it though. I love Zelda. I'm having a blast exploring that world, just like I was with Horizon. Um, I think these two both have solid stories, but um, I'm just enjoying the world so much that I'm like, I'll get to the story. You know, I know that I'm gonna enjoy the story once I get there, and I may be over leveled or whatever, but I'm enjoying the journey, and that's what's what it's all about. So yeah, I'm, I'm just. Uh, last night I finished unlocking all the towers. And, um, I'm working on, uh, just kind of bouncing around shri uh, shrines right now and, uh, opening up stables, which I'll get into later. That's another big annoyance, but yeah. Um, so far so good. Mostly with Zelda. I really do love that game pretty much as much, almost as much as I love Horizon. I think Horizon's definitely a far superior game, but, uh, two just, real big home runs here at the beginning of the year for me personally at least that's great uh let's dive into the news so the first story comes from pc gamer uh, matt paget over at pc gamer rumor call of duty is heading back to world war ii according to supposed leak we can't confirm these images are real so for now we're pretty skeptical you may have already seen the world war the call of duty world war ii leaked images but if you haven't here's the rundown YouTuber The Family Video Gamers posted a video where he talked about a handful of images he received from an anonymous source. These images point to this year's Call of Duty game being set in World War II, and they even suggest the name will be called Call of Duty WW capital I capital I, Roman numeral for two obviously. Uh, now there's reason to believe that Call of Duty would be taking the series back to the Second World War as Activision said in February in an earnings call that Call of Duty would return to quote its roots. However, it's important to remember that this doesn't mean the aforementioned images are real. In fact, it makes it easier for someone to pass off these fake images as legitimate art. Uh, so practice skepticism. I thought this was an interesting story. Uh, the industry has been talking for a while about this this kind of a snap back on there was a point when people were done with World War II shooters and we started going future, 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 modern into future anyways. And now with all of these... Uh, basically jetpacking uh you know uh future sci-fi shooters people want these uh these uh military games to go back to world war ii and more modern uh shooters uh, at the same time and i don't think this is that far flung maybe the images might be fake i don't understand the name but then again we had battlefield one last year so it doesn't surprise me if they would call it call of duty world war ii um so maybe not actually world war ii but wwii right um, yeah, do you, do you guys, is this kind of like a, yeah, it's going to be World War II? Uh, does this change your mind about buying Call of Duty at all? Because for me, it doesn't really, so. This actually, for me, confirms that I do want this. Um, if it were anything else, I probably wouldn't have. Um, and I, I do want to point out that some of the, there was a poster and the box art, you know, that were the supposed Steelbook. And yes. Steelbook. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's Same worth thing. pointing out that it looked to me, for my 
uh, novice historian I like it was Normandy, uh, which is important because the last Call of Duty World War II game, uh, World at War, was it was all uh, Western Front uh, stuff in Japan, from what I remember. The last Eastern Front focused game was like Call of Duty Two, like at Xbox 360's launch. That sounds about right. Um, yeah. If I'm remembering correctly, I could be wrong, but it's been a while since we've had about three, uh, video game three was uh, World War Two, wasn't it? I think you're right, but then no one played it or something. Yeah. Two is like the one I remember. <laughs> Dom didn't I don't know. play it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I know two because that's what I got when I first got my 360. Um, the first game that came with it, right? That in like NHL, whatever the hell it would have been. Oh five, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> um, I'm stoked for this because that's where exactly where I wanted to go, and I hope this is true because that is the only thing that would have gotten me to finally go back and play Call of Duty this year. So I'm pumped. Yeah. yeah. Um. For me, if anything was going to get me to play Call of Duty, it was going to be uh, Black Ops 3 with that uh, cool futuristic vibe and all the customization options they were offering and Treyarch making it. Uh, and I got close, but I just I still passed on it, and I think I'll still pass on this. I think um, it's not even the Call of Duty thing. It's more just the uh, war, the big-scale war game, uh, military war Thing that I'm not into like I my brother got Battlefield 1 for Christmas and I just haven't even tried it because I'm sure it's a great game but it's just not my deal and so uh, I don't think this is uh, pushing it over the line for me so, so yeah pumped. I think in the past I would have bought this just because I think the multiplayer would have been fun but for me uh, I, I love Overwatch and I love Smite and I love all these other games that I try to commit enough time to multiplayer wise and Call of Duty multiplayer just doesn't do it for me anymore. Uh, you know, the Call of Duty 4 remaster came out last year, which is one of my favorite games of all time. Um, and I didn't buy it because I personally voted with my wallet and I didn't feel like paying $80 for by a the game way, I didn't want in a game I didn't want. Can we admit right? how wrong, like, everyone was that they were going to, you know, one day release that standalone? Where the hell is it? Free money. Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, they still might. It's not. We're not even a year out, but I just think that um, they should have done it by now yeah and so i didn't even buy that right and what i heard a couple of my friends who did buy it um because because they didn't decide to vote with their wallet or i guess they did however you want to look at it anyways it seemed like it started off as just a remaster of the classic game but slowly they actually started updating the multiplayer and adding in all of these requisite packs and all these new features that the new call of duty had in its multiplayer and to me that completely gets rid of any reason for me to ever play that game now because I wanted that classic multiplayer feel, and if they're just injecting all this new stuff into it, tainted it. I just could care less, right? Damn it, Activision. Yeah. So looking at this game, I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, I would love to play a a, a multiplayer World War II game for Call of Duty because they are solidly made games, right? The gameplay is phenomenal. But I'm like, the multiplayer just isn't there for me anymore. I don't like the requisite packs. I just don't like any of that stuff. I've never been a fan of zombies. I think it's a poor man's horde mode. I don't like Call of Duty zombies at all. Poor man's horde mode. Um, Call of Duty Zombies is a put that poor in the man's books. horde mode. To me, per yeah, to me personally, I just I don't so think good. it's that good. Wow. Um, so wait, when um, when Avengers: Infinity War comes out, is that like a uh, is that like a poor man's Independence Day or something? I don't no, know. no. The reason I say that I'm is because a, I'm trying to make a stupid <laughs> joke and I'm not succeeding. Um. I think it's quality and everything, but for me, it just doesn't do anything special. It's not a special game mode to me. It just but it's is 
busy Nazi work. I just really zombies. don't like it. Like, I, who the hell combines those things? Yeah, Genius. It, it does nothing for me. I, I, anyways, so multiplayer does nothing for me. I can't justify paying $60 on... The campaign's probably going to be great. I can't justify paying $60 for a five-hour campaign. It'll probably be good. I'll probably rent it from, like, a Redbox or something. I just can't justify paying 60 bucks for a game in which... If it was only a single-player campaign, I might be able to justify that. But the fact that there's also multiplayer included and I'm basically buying half of a game, that doesn't sit right with me personally. Um, so it's just not for me. I think I'll rent it and I'll play the campaign. I think it's cool that they're not doing future anymore. I think people are burnt out on it. Um, that you've heard this boots-on-the-ground mentality, which people don't like the jetpacking and all of this stuff. It's a little too fast-paced, I think, for a lot of people. Uh, a lot Too much verticality, as I would say. Um, but we'll see. It's going to sell tons. People think it's Call of Duty is going to fail. This will probably put Call of Duty back on top. It'll probably have its best sales year in like the last five years because that's how it works. Um, but the next story here, uh, last week we talked about uh, April's Games with Gold, and it was a very solid list, probably one of the best lists of the year, if not the, the last year and a half or so for, for Xbox. Uh, we have the PS Plus games for the month of April. I'm going to go through them. I'll... What? I said yay. Okay, um, so I'm going to go through the PS3 games, then I'll go through the Vita games, then I'll go through the PS4 games. Uh, I'm not familiar with four out of these six games, so uh, Jordan, feel free to chime in when I mention the game. So first up on PS3, we have Invisibles The Lost Kingdom. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, this is a game oh. that required you to buy like uh, the PlayStation uh, camera, right? Or something like that, or it wanted you yeah, to? Yeah, it's like an AR game, and apparently the guys who made these games came out when Pokemon Go came out and were like, yeah, well, we used to oh, have God. a game about catching, AR game about catching critters on our platform. It's like, dude, shut God. up. Uh, the second game available for PS3 is Alien Rage Extended Edition. Not too familiar with this game. Uh, I don't know if you are. I haven't Jordan. heard of it. Uh, next up, both of these games cross by with PS4. Uh, so you're technically getting four games for your PS4, which is great. These are both the Vita games. Uh, Ten Second Ninja for PlayStation Vita. Like I said before, cross by with PS4. Uh, any familiarity with this, Jordan? Uh, yeah, I saw that pop up when it came out, and I was I was actually thinking about buying it. Um, this is another one. You know, people talk about this a lot where people say, oh, well, I'll just wait until that one comes out on PS Plus. Sometimes that kind of does work out, where it's a game that you just don't really feel like buying, but you kind of want to play, and then you just kind of wait around, and it pops up, like Little Big Planet 3 or whatever, and, and, you know, it works out with the best for everyone, so I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, but yeah, this, uh, I'm, I'm just down with ninja games usually in general. So yeah, I'm cool with this. Uh, the other PS Vita game also crossed by, so 10 second ninja crossed by with PS4 curses and chaos PlayStation Vita crossed by on PlayStation 4. Um, so I don't know what the wording specifically means there. Maybe you guys can explain that to me. What's the difference between crossed by with PS4 no. and crossed by on PS4? I have no fucking clue what yeah. that means. It, Maybe I mean, it's just a typo. I, think, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think you're you're getting both versions either way. Uh, the next two games for PS4, one of these was actually recently a Xbox Games with Gold game that I loved. I think it's a fantastic game. The first PS4 game, Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time. Uh, mm. This is a local co-op uh, and single-player game that you basically man a ship, and there's different controls on the ship, and uh, obviously local multiplayer, each of you can go and run around the ship and uh, you know, control each of these different machines. One of them moves the ship. One of them moves the shield. One of them moves the gun that shoots. So it's kind of doing that kind of stuff. You in single player, you have a companion that you can assign to certain machines to do that for you. Uh, great game, great arcade fun. 
um, just one of those cool pick up and play games you can be listening to a podcast or just want to hang out and just you know uh, not a lot of narrative there but it is a fun cute game I think it's a great game uh, really fun it's kind of like Overcooked except your marriage will probably be intact after you finish playing it um, <laughs> the second game here is the most interesting game it's a game we've heard about for a long time uh, Drawn to Death this was originally supposed to be a free yes, play game as part of finally. their free play model and they saw how badly that's failed with a lot of games the free to play model and it's not very it's not a very sustainable um, structure for, for a game and uh, I think they worked with Sony a lot and they're like uh, let's just bring it out. Uh, it's kind of like a free to play, essentially, except you're paying for PS Plus. But you know what I mean. You're not paying for the game yeah. itself. So I'm, it looks I think like a very interesting for, for a mini Rocket League situation. Since this is exclusive, you know, um, it's got some multi. It's got a big multiplayer element. I think it is just multiplayer. Um, and it's David Jaffe who's been making PlayStation exclusives for a very long time. Um, and so I'm excited to see if his game succeeds, you know, on, uh, on the PS4. Um, and I really like the art style. I really like the creativity of, um, the style of the game and how characters fight each other on this notebook paper. Um, I think it's like a kid's notebook in school or whatever. Um, but yeah, since it is just multiplayer, I'm I'm wondering whether you know how much I'm gonna play it. Yeah, I think overall it's a pretty solid list. Um, personally, I think Xbox's list is a little bit stronger, but there are some definite really solid games on the on the PS Plus list this month. Uh, like I said, Lovers of Dangerous Space Time solid. Drawn, uh, what what is it called again? Uh, I, Drawn to Death. Drawn to Death could be an interesting game. It looks very interesting. The aesthetic's cool. Uh, so we'll see yes. how those games are. And anytime you get cross-play games and cross-buy games it's awesome love There's it more more uh, value there the last yeah. story here uh, comes with IGN I think this is the most interesting story that I haven't seen anybody cover which is strange um, this kind of went by the wayside it, it popped up today but on all the sites I, I had to dig a little bit on IGN to even find it and a lot of the other sites weren't even covering it and that is Bioshock creator Ken Levine compares new game to a much more ambitious Shadow of Mordor nemesis system so right there, the, the headline alone is very interesting. I'm going to go into Gerald Scrabble's story, read through and then we'll talk about it a little bit. We're running a little long, so we want to be a little quick on, on the news section. Uh, Ken Levine has discussed some of the influences and comparisons with his as-yet-untitled first game for new studio, Ghost Story, which we talked about them uh, rebranding a couple of weeks ago. The creator of Bioshock has previously said that his new project aims to be a replayable narrative and cited Middle-Earth Shadow Mortar's nemesis system as a major uh, influence and kind of the sort of direction he'd like to take it in. In an on-stage interview, uh, Levine once again brought up the action RPG as an inspiration, but added that his new game would take the idea of a reactive narrative much further. The game that inspired me most, that we were uh, we were maybe in onto something on the right track, was Shadow of Mordor, with their nemesis system. That was a very limited, rudimentary approach to it that covers a very narrow area. It's more, it's more of a meta-narrative, and there's uh, not a lot of dialogue support for that stuff, so our thing is much more ambitious. That sort of gave us, like, okay, maybe we're not completely crazy in what we're trying to do. Uh, Levine called the process of a game openly reacting to a player's actions radical recognition and explained its importance to the new game. One of the most important things about what we're doing now is this concept of radical recognition, that if the player does something, the game should, as often as we can, recognize that accomplishment or failure, or whatever it is, and find ways to have the world feedback that it cares. Uh, the heart of that is something that's central to our game. 
Once again, Levine explained that the project would not be a narrative game in the way Telltale's projects are. They're, uh, they're still built on a different model, sort of a branching structure model. Our game is a deeply systematic game, underpinning everything from gameplay to narrative. To be, able to, uh, to, to be able to then have a narrative that seems traditional, like our games Bioshock or System Shock 2, one of those kind of narratives, but can react and comment on much more small level actions that the player takes, that's our goal. And the last part here is the most interesting. While Levine still won't discuss the game in a particular open way or even reveal a title, he continued to drop small hints throughout the talk. Other facets of the game he discussed included that it will be more like Bioshock than a Bethesda game in the way it was set in a smaller, highly detailed world. That while there was nothing quite like the new game's sci-fi narrative, there are probably similarities to be drawn within System, uh, System Shock 2. That Levine's been inspired by the industry's recent trend towards not trying to please all players, allowing for more challenging games with communities built around unlocking their secrets. So overall, I think this is really crazy. It's really interesting. Ken Levine, one of the biggest masterminds behind video games, uh, obviously he's responsible for Bioshock. Uh, I think this is really cool. It's very interesting. It's nice to see him not only take inspiration from Shadow of Mordor's nemesis system, but understand what he specifically and his team want out of it. It's not just a blind copy and paste. Uh, I like that they're taking the approach of not necessarily a Bethesda game, but a Bioshock game where they said it's a smaller world, more detailed. Uh, this gets me really excited about their next project. I don't know what it does for you guys. Um, real quick, where the hell is We Happy Few? Uh, I, yeah, it's, it's are we ever going to play game. that game? Yeah, it was announced last year. It was in early access, and then it's supposed to be coming out this year. It hasn't been on that long of a road. I feel like it was announced before last year. No, it was announced at last year's E3. It was one of the one of the, the bangers for Microsoft. Oh, no, the, it was definitely... I remember seeing footage before last year's E3. They just started, like, talking about it. Because they had had, like, alphas and stuff before that. Uh, Prove it, ticket. I'm sure. not too sure. I... I I definitely, definitely remember uh, We Happy Few before last year's E3. Anyways, um, this just reminded me of that game, so I was wondering if I'm ever going to be able to play it, kind of like Below and Cuphead. Um, anyways, I think this is really great. I'm a huge Bioshock fan. I think um, whatever King Levine does, I'm going to be interested in it, and I'm going to be there. But uh, I definitely feel like it's it still kind of sucks the way the whole thing went down with Irrational after Bioshock Infinite, um, but I am happy to see him, um, you know, involved creatively in this new project. And it seems like we're getting closer and closer to a reveal, uh, since they've now uh, revealed their studio, new studio name, and all that. Man, if this um, is so. a, one of the Xbox exclusives, that'd be insane. That'd be crazy. Yeah. I, I hope not. I hope his his games are just proliferated because I think he has the types of he he um, you know tells the types of tales and has the type of messages in his games that I want more people to experience. But yeah, everyone should be able to play Ken Levine games. I agree with you there. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. just saying from what we're expecting out of Xbox and stuff, it would be insane if they brought him out on stage and he announced the title for his game there and it was an Xbox. I, I could so see it. Right, right. Not that I necessarily want it. I could see it that, happening but, because he just yeah. started his own studio essentially, right? So he might need the capital uh, to get this off the ground. And yeah. The exclusive deal could be it, but I hope not too. I hope, yeah. 
And the weird thing for me is, uh, obviously, Mass Effect now is multi-platform, but I still associate those first three games with Xbox just because, obviously, uh, the first one was exclusive. I think the first two. I could be wrong about that. I don't remember when exactly they stopped being exclusive. Um, and with Bioshock 2, it was multi-platform, but for some reason, I always think of it as a 360 game. Um, obviously, that's where I played it, but for me, it always resonates as an Xbox game. Um, so it would be interesting to see if that happened. Uh, just for clarification... Bioshock 1 was, it was a, uh, for a, while. a 360 exclusive, and then once PS3 came out, they did a like special edition for PS3. Oh, okay, so it was initially an exclusive. Okay, I wasn't wrong about that. Just for clarification, Jordan, you were right. Well, we were both kind of right, technically. So, We Happy Few was first revealed in February 2015 at a PAX, but then it disappeared, and then in 2000, uh, well, it, in June t- 2015, it started a crowdfunding Kickstarter, but the yeah. first time it was actually shown off to a massive audience was the sure. uh, Microsoft press conference. So you were correct. It that did, was their big, their yeah, big coming exist. out, for sure. Yeah, you were completely correct on that. Um, we're going to get into the topics for the show. Uh, so one of the big things that came out the day we were actually recording this, which is March 30th, uh, the Destiny 2 reveal trailer came out, and I thought, Excuse me. I was a huge fan of the of the first Destiny as far as when it first released, and then I completely soured on it. I think that happened to quite a bit of people. Uh, I didn't buy the DLC. I'll get into. We can get into. Um, as a whole, I want this to be Destiny 2 expectations, but I first want to cover the trailer specifically. Uh, I'm going to go over some details. We'll discuss that, and then we'll go over our expectations for the next game. So, the so trailer... I just want to say that they totally screwed up the name with this one. Um, because obviously the correct name for this game would be Destiny's Child. Yes, and if you haven't heard that joke before, you're living under a rock. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the, the trailer starts off, we actually had a teaser before this with Cade Six, who's voiced by Nathan Fillion. If you don't know who that is, go watch an episode of Firefly. Uh, so uh, they, they had the, the, the reveal trailer today. It starts off with Zavala, who was the, the Titan Vanguard, who's essentially the guy who leads the class for Titans. Uh, Cade 6 is the same for Hunters. And it starts off with Zavala giving this big uh, speech about what they need to do to defeat this new enemy. And I'll go on uh, into who the new enemy is now for Destiny. But he's giving this very heartfelt, uh, emotional speech. Uh, something you see in most action movies of like, we got to go out there and get him. We need to do what's best. And it, <laughs> it cuts in between that and Nathan Fillion's character, Cade 6, giving this very jokesterish, laid back, we got to do it or I'm going to kill you. Like, just this very funny uh, tone to it. And uh, me personally, the first, like, 30 seconds of that have way more personality than all of the original Destiny game. Um, Ooh. I, I think the biggest problem with Destiny, so I've said this before, Destiny's gameplay phenomenal. Some of the best gunplay in the industry. My problem with that game is it lacked any substance. It went for where this hardcore space epic, uh, this sci-fi uh, narrative that really has no meaning. You never really even got to meet any characters. You met them, quote-unquote, but there was never any personality there. I saw more personality in Cade 6 and that teaser in this than anything else I saw in Destiny. A lot of people felt that in uh, the DLC that they kind of uh, worked on that, right, and made the characters a little bit more lovable, a little bit more relatable. But I think this trailer itself has way more personality, which lends towards a more positive outlook on the future of Destiny 2. Uh, really quick before we get into that stuff, uh, the, the Cabal are the major enemy. They attack the tower, which is kind of like the hub place. We never got a chance to look at the city in the first game. The whole city is attacked in this, which from that kind of perspective, it's weird because you don't really have any connection to a city you never got to go through and be personally attached to. So it's like, okay, the city that was right below me the entire game, cool, whatever. 
um, there's a new big bad, which I think is cool because one of the major issues with Destiny, I felt from a narrative perspective, is that you weren't necessarily ever you never really knew who the real enemy was, right? There was all these different the factions. Darkness. Yeah, it's and that's the like darkness. super vague and boring. And you heard like with the with the uh, the raids and stuff like that, you got these big bads. You were like, oh, who's that? I want to know more about them. And you had to like dive deep into all this these weird angles that you shouldn't have to. And with this, from this moment where they're like, they even make a joke about his name. He's like Gil or or Gary or whatever his name is. And they're like, no, it's Gaul. He's the leader of the Red Legion. This uh, seems like a cabal faction. Uh, or legion rather so that's cool there's already a big bad yet a uh, big bad you have to look out for you already know who you're gonna who the main antagonist is right which i think is great for the vision of this game um they show all of the gear being blown up which is context for you not having your character's gear transfer over which is still it sucks that it's not happening but at least there's some context there like yeah all of the all of the whole armory got destroyed so no wonder you don't have any of your gear right so it's a smart way to lend context to that um like I said before, this has more personality in this trailer than the entire game of Destiny, in my opinion. Uh, I felt it has more heart, character. Uh, I love the serious and funny, the cutback between the two characters. For me, some of the best uh, pieces of uh, entertainment are when there's a funny man and a straight man. Uh, you know, We're going to be seeing that soon with Deadpool and Cable. We saw that with some of the Justice League teasers with Batman and Flash. I've always loved that dynamic, You know, the rush hours and stuff like that, lethal weapons. Um, so I think this has a, a chance to be great if it lends into that. Um, it's coming out September 8th. There's pre-order beta access and stuff like that. I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, for me, I, I just want to hear from you guys how you feel this relates to your experiences with the first Destiny and what are your expectations for Destiny 2? Are you going to buy it? Do you think it'll be it'll be a good game, but do you think it'll meet well, those expectations? I guess I've been living under a rock. I didn't even watch the trailer. Um, I saw that teaser. and But I guess that tells you all, all I have to say is that I really couldn't care less about this i played the first one through the the single player experience and that was that was about the extent of it i wouldn't be surprised if this is basically the same game and hopefully they make the story a little more interesting i think that should be expected but i don't know i, I don't have huge expectations for it they're gonna have to prove me you know what I mean? i'm not giving them the benefit of the doubt at all here i'll be busy playing call of duty world war 2 and battlefront 2 this fall so yeah that's my take yeah, I'll buy the complete edition in about a year and a half or two when it's much cheaper and I'm not trying to buy all these seemingly overpriced so, expansions. That's, in that's my what opinion. I would I wanted to think um, I was gonna do too, but for this kind of game especially, that like hardly works because so everyone else by that time is so over leveled and you kinda kinda get your ass kicked. Yeah, but that's not really I mean, to me that's not a concern, but for you, for, yeah, for I can totally also, for these games totally with the DLC, that. they kind of give you this item that kind of boosts you up to the lowest threshold to be able to compete with other people. So they do a good job at that of, like, keeping you in the mix. They World of Warcraft it where, like, you start a character, you're fine, you know. Um, for uh, I don't know if you guys have been keeping up with Destiny, but it seems like from what everybody's saying is that they're, they actually worked on this from the ground up. Um, the guy who basically was the lead in Destiny isn't the lead anymore. It's a new person. And I think they realized that you know, though they compared it to an MMO and stuff like that, it was very light on any RPG elements whatsoever. Um, outside of just upgrading your own class, like your own character, 
through the weapons and that kind of stuff. There wasn't a whole lot of RPG stuff there. The NPCs were very lackluster. Like I said, the tower was pretty much the only time you ever met a lot of characters, you know. Uh, through the story, it was all narration. Another thing, people were concerned that ghosts weren't returning. Um, uh, Nolan North is confirmed to be in this game too, so it looks like he's returning as the voice of the ghost, which is good because any game with Nolan North is uh, probably going to be a good game, obviously. Um, for me, I'm... I'm Kind of in the mid, I'm in the middle of what I was when Destiny came out and what you guys are seem to be now. Of this could be a day one purchase for me, but I'm very cautious and I'm very hesitant. I've gotten to this point with Activision, and it's funny because I love Blizzard so much, but Blizzard is Activision now. So to me, I still separate it as like there's the Blizzard and then there's the Activision, even though they are Activision Blizzard. But like the way they've handled Call of Duty to me personally with the Call of Duty 4 situation and the way I felt really burned by Destiny, the way I feel is that you shouldn't have to... The game shouldn't be good a year from now. It should be good the day it releases. Like, the fact of the matter is if everyone always talks about the DLC was so good it turned into a whole new game, that still doesn't justify me paying $60 on the busy day with other shit and let down. At that, point. that doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. And... Um, I, I just, I'm cautiously optimistic. I think it will be a whole different game. A lot of my friends are excited for this, but to be completely honest with you, if this comes out anywhere near Red Dead 2, it's an afterthought to me. And I don't know if that's the case for a lot it's of people. It's an early, like, you said September 8th. That's an early one. Yeah. Well, also there's rumors of Red Dead 2, the leak, it being October 3rd. So that's like a less than a month apart, which is plenty of time to play Destiny, but like the way the fall hits, man, if there's probably going to be something right before Destiny that comes out. And with all of the games we're hearing about, with, with me personally, I'm super excited for State of Decay and Crackdown and all these other games. I don't know if I'm either even going to look twice at Destiny 2, whether or not it meets my expectations and what it what it's, uh, what it's I want out of it, you know? Um, there's just so many other sci-fi games and stuff like that that I have way more interest in. Like, I'm super excited for Prey personally. I think Prey looks like an awesome game. And I... Can't I wait. Yeah, I, I don't... I'm just... Cautiously optimistic for Destiny uh, 2, so we'll I see think, where that goes. I think Prey is the closest I'm going to get to Dead Space 4 right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And maybe this Ken Levine game, considering it has a lot of System Shock 2 vibes. Uh, which, yeah, that's going to be great. Anyways, uh, earlier you guys talked about... Uh, we, we talked about what we're going to be playing. And, uh, you know, Walking Dead is a phenomenal series of games by Telltale. Uh, Dom, what do you want to talk uh, about? Exactly? Yeah, New Frontier. We have... We had episode three, which just popped out last, rather, this Tuesday. Um, all three of us played it, so let's just throw it all out there. First off, we're doing, right, full spoilers. Full spoilers. So, full spoilers. So, you know, full pause, spoilers. close the browser, subscribe to us first, but then, get you know, close us down. Um, or skip about 10 to 15 minutes from now, and you'll be on the third topic. That was probably what I should have said, yeah. So. <laughs> anyway, all right, so we're getting into it. Final chance to, cle- to skip forward. So... I love the episode. Um, it's let me try to organize my thoughts really quick here. So I really liked episode one and two. Um, same thing here with three. Um, they continue that dynamic uh, with your older brother um, and that thing going on with him and his wife and and you you know you got this like this kind of like unspoken love triangle thing going on, just like there was in the show. Uh, in seasons one and two, like I pointed out a couple of weeks ago, actually a couple of months ago when we reviewed the first two episodes. Um, so in the show, like, you know, what's going on with Shane and Rick and wow, I haven't said the name in a while, but Lori, um, 
even though it was all kind of settled. Yeah, Lori Carl. Um, even though it was all kind of settled, there was always that like weird underlying tension, like between all three of them. And he still like Shane was still into Lori, and it, you know, like it was that like kind of unspoken drama, you know, underneath this whole zombie apocalypse thing. And then well, with Rick disagreeing with Shane and how he does things, you know, it was just like the cherry on top. So they still kind of got that going a little bit. It was a bit of a letdown where as soon as you're kind of reunited, uh, the first thing Kate says to you is like, you got to get me out of this place because you end up in Richmond um, where David is, you know, one of the people in charge. And she immediately like is com- completely wants nothing to do with David, which was kind of disappointing to me. I was hoping that like she'd kind of be stuck between the two of you and you get to play that game. But that wasn't really the case. She just was not having him. Um, and then it ended up being the other way around, at least how I played where my character, Javi, was actually the one who kind of wanted to stay because I felt like, well, he is my brother, though. I got to give him at least a chance. That changed. And then I basically, towards the end of it, said, you know, fuck this guy. I don't care what happens to you. Um, and then I also really liked uh, all the chances I had to be a complete and utter savage. <laughs> so I killed everyone I could. So that first guy who shot uh, your niece, oh, yeah, Lord knows I bashed his head in with a baseball bat without hesitation. Yeah, I was. I, I knew it. As soon as I saw them, I was like, I'm killing him, right? <laughs> I was like, I didn't even have to think about that decision. And then that other guy too, um, Max, I think. Yep, shot him in the head. Screw that guy. So <laughs> I didn't even hesitate. He, they try to make you think like, because he tries to plead like, oh, I'll, I'll vouch uh, and expose, uh, you know, everything that's going on in Richmond. I'm like, I don't care. Fuck you. Um, normally, like, those are the kind of agonizing decisions, but I was like so into it, which is good. In, this, in a different way so I, I don't know I thought that was awesome the Clementine stuff they caught up uh, with you and David I still am of the belief that I wish they wouldn't show some of that stuff because that's stuff that Javi wouldn't know and you now are making decisions as Javi based on information that he wasn't there for but as the viewer you saw it if that makes sense but but they also but uh, when he, when you go back and do that thing between Clementine and David it's her telling him a story right but but he would, so he know would know that he's telling. He doesn't know that she, she's telling the truth, basically. Well, but what yeah, decisions? Yeah. What decisions are you basing Nothing off of like that story? Nothing like super, you know, uh, monumental and story changing. But just the way I responded, to David, after that point, was kind of based on that stuff. Yeah, the only decision I could think of was the thing where David's trying to get in the door, and she's like, "Don't open it." But it wasn't Clem's story that influenced me and I wasn't thinking oh David knows that story because I didn't feel I didn't think that she had told him that I thought she was just flashing back in her head but um, the fact I thought she was about to shoot him because she had already taken a shot I was like fuck that I'm getting away from the door regardless and so and Jesus is like I thought you were a better man I'm like she shot a bullet at me before man, I even got over there Jesus scolded me for killing those other guys and I was like dude first of all you you're not the real I do Jesus want to point here, that out okay? too, because I don't like him. I, I mean, I do like him, but he serves no real purpose so far in this series. Yeah, they they I right. like how badass they're making him, but other than that, I was looking why? at him this why episode like, why is he even here? He's like barely got any lines of speaking. Like, it's just weird that they put him in the series like it's this, and then he's out. But I feel like. Glenn actually was part of the group and like doing shit 
and mattered to the storyline while he was there in the first season. But Jesus you know? doesn't even really do anything in the show that's a good for point. the most part. That's yeah, a very good and point. That's, that's a whole other thing. This yeah. is connected to the comics, <laughs> yeah. and Jesus matters to the comics just like yeah. Lynn matters to the comics. But most so people have seen the show, not the, why not they the screwed that comic, up. though. Yeah, but, the, but this is definitely connected to the comic universe that's been, you know, stated before, and that's official, but... And also, they're definitely showing you that this is the so i mean wrapping up really quick those are just a couple weird little gripes um because overall like as you can tell by the intensity of my voice right now i really liked it i've been thinking about it since i finished it last night um so i like the cliffhanger at the end and i'm pumped to get into season or episode four you know three months from now or whatever it ends up being so (laughs) yeah 2018 Um, i have a bunch of notes done you want me to go first jordan um, I'll go first since you have a bunch of stuff because I'll just kind of breeze through pretty quick. Uh, first of all, I want to say two crashes this really? episode. Two hard crashes. Damn. Um, and I was looking at it right before the first crash saying, wow, this one's running away <laughs> better than it. Batman was, you know. Um, and it it was for the first two episodes. And it's still running better moment to moment. The, it's much smoother and the, the uh, lip sync is generally better even though these shiny faces are fucking killing me. Um, but yeah, two hard crashes this episode, pretty close to each other too. I was like, damn, fuck. Um, and you know, it's not like, like my PS4 Pro, I played 40 hours of Horizon on that, uh, flawlessly. So it was definitely the game. Um, so there's that. And then, uh, yeah, I mentioned on our last talk about this Walking Dead stuff that, um, I think they're just getting so sharp over there with their writing at Telltale, and the dialogue moment to moment is just on fucking point, and the storytelling in general is just on point. So I want to commend them again for another hard-hitting episode and one of their best outings writing-wise ever uh, for that studio. So really great writing in this episode, really great pacing. Um, barely any interaction other than dialogue choices I noticed this episode, which was very uh, surprising. I was like, it was probably 30 plus minutes before I ever, when he's uh, getting that stuff out of the bag that David left him when they get kicked out. Uh, that was the first time I was I like, wow. I don't think you ever walked around it either. W- no. Um, just a no. little bit. There's oh. the, like you're oh, yeah. sneaking for a yeah. second with Toby and stuff, but I was wondering. I'm wondering if they're just kind of testing the waters with this, um, because this is probably you know this is definitely one of their biggest series, um, if not the biggest series since they've built it up um, and have this fan base and they're known for it. I'm wondering if they're testing the waters to see could we just go with dialogue choices? Would people be cool with that? Personally, I think I would be totally fine with that because Same. the writing is that good and the gameplay is that bad most of the time. Or that lackluster, I should say. It's not terrible. Um, and even the Batman stuff was exciting. Um, but yeah, I'm wondering if they're testing the waters with that. So, um. Um, and then just general thoughts. Really like the episode. I thought, like I said, the writing was great. Um, I think the characters i think javi's a really really strong character even when i'm making these tough decisions and like bashing badger's brains in and stuff and i'm like yeah this is not the best light that he's being shown in right now but i still think he's an awesome character and that he's um a great guy to you know want to get behind and play as so um 
Kate was being annoying at the beginning, and I'm starting to really not like her. I was liking her in episode one, but now not so much. Um, and I'm really starting to like Toby more. And then, yeah, I felt like Jesus was just useless and was very badass with his action scenes that I liked, but uh, his, you know, character-wise, I felt like he was very underserved. So, yeah, that's it. Uh, we're running really short on time, so I'm going to speed run through all my thoughts, and then we'll get to Zelda so you guys can talk about it for a bit. Um, so... Uh, my notes, as far as they are, are I put Kate is still annoying. I still don't like the character. I haven't liked her since episode one. Um, I continue to play distant with her. Like I said, the love triangle I was expecting that to be a thing. Well, not really love triangle with me. It's just a couple, and then she's trying to flirt with me. Um, that didn't really happen. She kept trying. Every time there was a t- decision like show Kate affection or just be, uh, you know, passive. I was like, I'll play passive. I don't want anything to do with her. Um, I loved the the all the jump backs. So the biggest thing when you have a time jump is that you want to know what happened in between those points. And we had two yeah. major uh, flashbacks in this uh, episode. We had the one that happened before the title screen, which was uh, Javi, Kate, and the kids' immediate reaction uh, about a month or a couple of months after uh, the initial outbreak, which is really cool. And then there was the, the jump back to uh, Clementine and AJ and her trying to find medicine. I thought those were fantastically done. I thought they were really good. Um, Crazy that he's alive. Yeah, I thought the sound design in this game, uh, th- this episode was particularly um, well done. I don't really notice it a lot of time. That's one of those things I say, audio design, if it's well done, you rarely notice it. If it's poorly done, you automatically notice it, right? Um, but I thought the, the, the audio design and the soundtrack and everything were phenomenal in this episode. Um, what else was I going to say? Oh, Clem and Jesus had really cool badass moments in this episode, which I thought were cool. Uh, for me, I don't know if it's happened for you guys, but the Badger fight seemed to be the most unforgiving out of any telltale experience i've ever had where the time between you having to do the button prompts was the quickest it's ever been i failed that fight like multiple times and i've never really failed anything with walking dead and i it was like really it's quick. tough when, like, they, when they changed the button so um, i, I failed when they switched it to r2 to grab that mug or whatever i wasn't ready i was looking for a face button <laughs> yeah um the other big thing uh i really liked how how much they put into perspective you taking another human's life with Badger because you beat him to death and you can continuously keep beating him to yeah, death. Yeah, you can. And you just keep pressing Y and it's up to you to decide when you stop. I did it twice. And sorry, Jared. You keep pressing triangle? Is that what you were trying to say? <laughs> so I keep pressing Y and Trips there yelling. I did it twice and I had to stop, dude, because him yelling at me, I just, I couldn't do it. I was like, I want to beat the shit out of this guy's brains because he killed my niece, but I just can't do it. <laughs> So I was like, two Jeez. times good enough. I spared Max, and he actually ended up coming in really solid. He kept his word. Um, and those are the tough decisions. I didn't get uh, yelled at for killing the guy earlier, like we talked about when you were siphoning the gas and the guy ran away. I didn't kill him, so I didn't get scolded yep. for that. I'm pretty sure both of you did. Um, I think yeah, so the, we both killed both guys, so that means... How did yours end up, Jared? Uh, the Probably the same. Uh, Javi and uh, uh, the brother, uh, David, and were David tried both to... captured... Um, tried to convince convince the others that Joan was uh, an asshole which she is Um, and yeah uh, I think that's pretty much it like I said we're running short on time so I definitely want to hear your guys' thoughts on Zelda so I want to say one tiny little thing about Walking Dead you mentioned the sound design and music I thought they start this music off with this like uh, really kind of like futuristic synth vibe and kind of carried that throughout um and i've just noticed this more recently but that seems kind of like a more cyberpunk vapor wavy type soundtrack with the synth stuff 
the really heavy synth stuff has gotten a lot more popular. And I understand in this post-apocalyptic thing, it's not like a Western or, you know, um, just a straight sci-fi thing. Like, you don't have those uh, musical uh, notes to just go back to and constantly hit. But um, I'm starting to see a lot lot more people use this, like, futuristic sci-fi synth stuff in a lot more... Uh, just random dramas and stuff on TV, and now this, and so I was kind of not digging that as much. But um, usually, I, I like the uh, the music in in uh, Telltale Walking Dead, I should say. Uh, earlier, you actually touched on it quite a bit, um, but I want to hear from you, and then we haven't really heard from Dom too much on your guys's uh, Zelda impression. So if you guys can give us those, give us a rundown of how so how I got Zelda some notes. You guys. A couple quick hits. I'll just run through these of things I liked. Um, and then there's actually one thing I didn't like. So, of course, first off, it looks so good. It looks absolutely good. Um, the art style is fantastic. Even when it's, you know, 720p on a tiny little Switch screen, it still looks great. Um, not That's not really a surprise. Um, next thing, the, the greater emphasis on exploration um, instead of, like, quest lines. Um, that, that, to me, is, like, by far, like, what this does best. Um, even when there are quests very seldom do they actually give you like a quest marker on the map they usually just tell you uh like you know if you look up that mountain between those two trees there's something cool that has to do with something else they give you vague guidelines and i've never like seen that successfully done with any other game so that's really cool and then of course there's the stuff along the way that like you just get distracted by this game's really good about uh as opposed to holding your hand just uh kind of right. pushing you in the right yeah direction, it does that you know? fantastically Kind of like, kind of like a parent teaching you how to swim, you know, where it's like you have to kick your feet and you have to uh, push your arms and all that, but right. they're kind of helping then, you along. And then you know, as you're any time you're going somewhere, like finding stuff along the way is just it's fantastic. Everything feels so good about exploring. Like the the name of the game, I think, couldn't be more, uh, you know, it couldn't correspond more. It's yeah, it's like Breath of the Spot Wild. That's on. like exactly what this game feels like. Um, and then. To yeah. add to that, yeah, I mean, it's it really been said does. by everyone and their brothers, but the towers are fantastic, and any of the high points in the game, you know, it's not uh, Assassin's Creed where you get to the top of the tower and then push a button and then a bunch of little marks appear on your map. Like, you actually, right, you actually yeah, climb the tower puzzles. and look around and see and mark stuff yourself and see if that's where you want to go and what could be there. And it, it doesn't feel like it's too difficult or, you know you know too hard to do that like it, it makes you like interested every time you're on a high point on mountain or a tower like you want to like mark that stuff and then go there well and they're they're and great for the gliding off great, of yeah. too but also they're they're actual there's a lot of the towers that are puzzles That's a good point, just yeah. to get to the top of where they're blocked uh, right yeah, where they're that are fun puzzles blocked with that purple I think goo fun, and you gotta yeah. like i'm not even gonna spoil it but yeah you're right a lot of the towers are actually puzzles just to get up um have you been to the one where you have to stack boxes? Yeah, to there get was up two. To I it? think I had to do that, and one where I had to do something else. I won't say what though. Um, so, and then jumping off that, uh, the shrines uh, and all the puzzles, even the dungeons, although they're short and kind of the bosses are sort of underwhelming, the dungeons themselves and all the shrines are super creative. Like this is like portal level puzzle design. Like they're that good, just in smaller chunks. So, those are fantastic and a, a great twist on I don't know on what the series has been doing and. I, I think games in general. Um, next point, the collectibles. All of them have a purpose. Until, you know, after so many of the Korok seeds, you don't have a purpose to get all 900 of them, but 
after that, you know, all the, the monster guts, uh, the chunks of whatever, the bat wings, everything else, it goes towards something. Um, I don't want to say everything, you know, and spoil it all, but it all has a really cool purpose one way or another. Uh, talked about the puzzles. Uh, the physics engine is just like, and just the way everything works exactly what, how you think it will is really cool. The electricity, it's like, cool, man. It, they, they set, like, they created this world and they gave you these rules. And everything follows those rules exactly as yeah. you expect. It's it's the coolest thing. It's hard to explain, but that's the best I can do. Very yeah. fun to play with the um, physics. And engine. I can't think of a game that does the same thing. I mean, maybe Portal, but it's still not. There's not as much variation to that. Um, so stuff like Just that's, Cause yeah. Three, you know, games that are really pushing yeah. you to play with that stuff. Force Unleashed, right. stuff um, like that. So I talked about the collectibles. The the weapon durability durability at first is annoying, but Fuck. it gets. I know. I hate no, it. No, I. I fucking hate it. I mean, for me, I hated it at first, but it gets really cool. Um, it makes you start to use different weapons, um, especially when you get a couple extra slots in your inventory for weapons. You start to like it because you find so many weapons, and it kind of it's like you're automatically upgrading, but you're also upgrading like different kinds of weapons. So you know, I like it. Contrast to like Dark Souls, where I you know I find one good sword. And then it's so costly to upgrade in Dark Souls that you end up using just the one sword the entire game, even though there's so many different weapons. Um, so I felt like it was kind of a good contrast to that. I really liked that. Um, and I'm still finding new and different types of weapons. It, it forces you to experiment in that sense. Um, uh, I think that was everything I had. The one thing I didn't like, um, and this is this is the controversial bit, controversial bit, I still prefer the... Uh, you know, the areas that are locked off until you get a certain item, you know, as of uh, art. Right. Oh, kind so, of a Metroidvania vibe. In this game, it's, I don't think it's a spoiler to say, like, you get all the items and the ways you're going to interact with the world right off the bat in the tutorial. You get everything. You don't get a hookshot midway through the game that lets you do a completely new mechanic. That doesn't exist here. And, you know, you can get to anywhere in the world immediately, um, given that you're strong enough or you have enough stamina. You can get anywhere always. That can be a good thing, and it, I don't know. Most people fi are finding it a good thing. I kind of wish that they blended it a little more with the old style Zelda, where, especially in the dungeons, when the that's my favorite part about the dungeons is uh, being able to, you know, in old Zelda games, being able to unlock new parts of the dungeons and do different things based on the weapon you found. So that I, I go back and forth. I will say there are some parts like you can't, like super, super cold or super hot areas. You have to have certain gear and stuff, or you'll just immediately die. Just saying that you can't just like hop in uh, to every single. That's place true. I mean, at, you'd have to go and get the beginning. gear, make the food that helps you in those areas, right? The warm so. doublet and all. What do you that, got? Yeah. So yeah, as I stated at the beginning of the show, I love the game. I think um, it isn't quite this. Um, legendary masterpiece that everyone's making it out to be. I think it's the first great uh, uh, mainline Zelda game in a long time. And so people are really hungry for that and that's why I think it got such high ratings. Um, you said you think it looks really good. I think it looks okay. I think the art style is pretty cool with the it's not, it's a weird style of cel shading the 3D 
cell shading animation I don't know what you call it but um, that part's okay it's mostly the environmental textures there's some real real rough textures in there and I get that um, this game's on the Wii U but I mean Wii U has plenty of beautiful games running at 1080p so um, and I I understand it's a big open world but there are just some spots where um, I'll be flying over this <coughs> excuse me wooded area with my uh, paraglider and I'm just like whoa those textures on the ground down there almost look like in 64 era like just crappy obviously not that bad I'm exaggerating but but just really poor and so um, that's it's def it's definitely taking away from the game because coming off of Horizon um, Dom you said Breath of the Wild is a great name for this game and it is I think this does it has a really good uh, grip on the feeling of nature but I'm like the real Breath of the Wild in my opinion is Horizon like her when I'm playing Horizon I almost feel like I'm in the woods with Aloy. Like I feel like I can smell the grass, and 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 I know that's kind of a cliche. People say that a lot, but it really Horizon feels so immersive. And yeah, I get I'm playing it on a PS4 Pro and 4K, and and uh, Zelda is on obviously a much uh, lower powered console. But it just sucks that Nintendo. You know, I would have love to pay 400 for a switch and i think plenty of people would have paid 400 for a switch and it could have been at least running this stuff at 1080 and having um you know sharper edges and those those textures would be uh, a little bit better because i get that this was a wii u game but i'm not thinking that if we get another zelda at the end of the switch life cycle i don't think it'll look that much better than this so um i don't want to focus too much on graphics even though i seems i already have uh, but anyways Another big complaint is the horse uh, stuff. So I think the horse riding is just rocky. It's just rough around the edges, I think. They try to make it feel more natural to where um, if you're going at super fast speeds, then you have less control over the horse, which makes sense in theory. But it's one of those things like people were talking about with um, The Last Guardian where it's like, well, you're trying to control this dog and you really can't control an animal, so that's why the controls are so hard. And I just don't think that's a good excuse, and I think it's not a good excuse here either. I wish that, um, you know, comparing it to Witcher 3, for example, where, you know, I played hundreds of hours of that game and spent tons of it on the horse, going through all these lush environments with tons of trees sticking out of the ground. And CD Projekt Red did a very smart thing by saying, okay, half of this stuff you're just going to fade through anyways because it's just a, a tiny twig. It doesn't need to stop you right where you are. Um, and then the bigger tree trunks, obviously you can't just run through those. But uh, unfortunately, since Nintendo likes to have such a polish on their games, that was never going to be the case. So it seems like every tiny little thing you start to run to, up to, um, the horse just stops in place. And I'm like, Jesus, dude, it's like a rock or something. Like, chill out. And it just makes that experience really rough. Um, and then furthermore, branching off of that, also a part of the horse part of the game are the stables, which they're essentially towers, but only for the horse. Um, basically what it does is you have to go to these stables and um, basically once you walk up and talk to them, then it's unlocked. And that means that, um, you know, you can go to that stable and grab your, your registered horse, whoever it may be. But basically, if I open the stable up on the north part of the map, 
and then I run down to the south part of the map and I'm doing stuff and I hit the button to whistle for Epona, well then she's not going to be able to find me. It's going to give a notification that I can't get, she can't get to me because I'm not near enough to that stable. So I have to go around the entire world and unlock every individual stable so that any place in the world that I need to call my horse, I can get access to her, which, you know, comparing it to Witcher, in the Witcher, you hit the button and your horse is right there, it calls. And sure, Roach might end up on top of a roof or something funny, goofy like that, but when you're on the horse, the riding's really smooth and it's easy to roam around the world. And yeah, I don't have to unlock these essentially horse towers you know, so that I have access to my horse everywhere around the world. Um, really, really rough part of the game right there, I think. I think they really screwed that up. So, uh, moving on to shrines. I think shrines are fucking fantastic. I love the shrines. Um, there are these, not, not many puzzles. I mean, some of them will take you a little bit, a little chunk of time. But, wow, are they fun, man. Like you said, they're, they're portal level. They're, they give you all the tools. They really do. And some of them, there's a couple that are pretty obtuse. You know, it is Zelda at the end of the day. But I think for the most part, you can walk into a room. Like Dom said, you have all the powers from pretty much the end of the tutorial. And so you can kind of just look at your set of tools and look at the room and just start working your brain power. And you can eventually get to the solution uh, relatively quickly because there's so many of them that you're not meant to be spending uh, so much time on these puzzles like you would in uh, older Zelda temples and dungeons. So I think that they work really well, very fun, and very... It's like really great brain food, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, and like I said, some of the towers even are puzzles. Um, finding Korok seeds are little tiny puzzles. Um, lots of environmental puzzles in this game. Lots of... Uh, ways that they shove puzzles in here that you think would be like, uh, I don't want another puzzle, but it's just they're so smartly done and they're so fun to do that you love doing them. And so I think that's one of the strongest suits of the game easily. Um, I think the combat, somebody's been playing some oh, yeah. Souls games, Dom, because I'm getting major Bloodborne and Souls vibes from uh, just the way combat feels. Obviously, it's not nearly as difficult, though this isn't an easy cakewalk of a game. But I definitely feel like these guys have played plenty of Souls before they finish this game. Um, Overall, um, though, you're good with it? Like Finishing up. Yeah, f- yeah oh, finishing up, I think, like I said, I love this game. I think this is easily one of my favorite Zeldas. Um, I would say I was it was a toss-up for me between Twilight Princess and Wind Waker before this. Uh, Wind Waker probably lost out because I had only played the original version, which had the Triforce quest, which was way too long and bullshit. And so maybe if I played the Wii U version, I would enjoy it more because they took that out. That's how bad it was. They edited that shit out. Uh, so yeah, this is a great Zelda game, and it makes me want to go back and play more Zelda because I can tell that they've you know, taken lot, this is, this is kind of the Force Awakens of Zelda, where they're taking the pieces and they're putting it, um, you know, kind of rebooting it for a new age, or reimagining, if you will, um, and kind of, it seems like there's a lot of callbacks, um, to previous Zelda worlds, and you can look at this place and say, oh yeah, I've been here in a different Zelda game, and it wasn't all run down, or, or whatever, Temple of Time being an example there, so, um, yeah, very cool game, and I'm, I'm sure I'll have more thoughts 
Uh, maybe we'll even do like spoiler talk once Jared gets his hands on it and Dom and I have uh, finished it up. But yeah, it's a it's a lovely game, though I do think that, um, you know, it's not quite as good as maybe like it's Metacore or Metacritic score would uh, say. So um, for me, I think I like Horizon a little bit better, but I fucking love Zelda. Uh, let's hop into what we're going to be playing next week. Uh, so for me, I'm uh, going to be playing more Dark Souls, going to be playing Mass Effect Andromeda, and going to be playing uh, Snake Pass. Uh, it was a game I purchased immediately once it became available. I think the whole idea is cool. I support the guy who created it, and the way he got his job is really interesting and inspirational. Very cool story, yeah. Um, check that uh, out. I would say check that out on Kind of Funny Games Cast. I loved hearing his story. Yeah. I think the controlling a snake through snake physics is really cool and i like that and i love animals in general i was actually uh originally when i was a kid i wanted to become a zoologist and study animals oh and stuff like that, so. uncle uh, jerry with a koala on his back god uh yeah so snake past dark souls mass effect andromeda what about you guys i got salt sanctuary uh probably I'm, I'm gonna get back to horizon i'm saying it and this time i'm actually gonna do it so per so nah. Oh yeah. Persona. It's time for Persona Five. Unfortunately, I have uh, laid down my sword. I will not be completing Persona Three FES before the release of Persona Five. But I'm still very excited about Persona Five. I've played um, well over a hundred hours of the series, uh, even though I still haven't beaten any Persona games. <laughs> But, uh, you know, more than 100 hours of the series, and I think, you know, the games aren't even story-connected, so um, I'll have a perfect primer, because I'll know the gameplay stuff, but I won't uh, need to know any, like, story lore that I'm missing out on. So, very excited for Persona. Um, I might get around to some Kingdom Hearts, because the collection came out this week. Um, I had also pre-ordered Rain World, because I was really interested in that game, but... Yeah, Zelda's been sucking up my time, so we'll see if I get to anything else. And then I want to take just a quick sec to say this. I'm uh, nearing the end of uh, the first season of Iron Fist, and I'll tell you what, guys. This show has just gotten shit all over online. It, it does not deserve it. It does not deserve it. Personally, I think it's better than Jessica Jones and Luke Cage. Uh, which I'm not a huge fan of either of those two series. I don't think it's as good as Daredevil one, season one or two, but I think the action and the kung fu is fucking awesome. I think um, the characters are easily stronger than the people that are in either of those other two Marvel shows that I mentioned. I think that um, it gives me much more of the vibe that Daredevil does, and so I like that. Um, I like the well choreographed fight scenes. I like the fact that Danny feels like a superhero. He has the superpower. I think the Iron Fist uh, special effects, when they glow, look really good. And so um, it's nice to see him actually like being a superhero as opposed to Jessica or Luke's shows where it's just them being strong once every three or four episodes and lifting something heavy. Um, they just don't feel like superhero shows at all to me. They just feel like straight-up dramas, which is fine for some people. But um, if Marvel's going to have Netflix shows, I, I'd want them to be more feeling more of the superhero vibe. So I'm actually really enjoying uh, Iron Fist, and I would say at least give it a chance to people out there because 
I'm sure you've heard so many bad things that you might have just written it off. Written it off. So, yeah, finishing up Iron Fist. Uh, thank you guys for listening and or watching, watching, watching uh, episode 53 of the Controlled Interest Gamecast. Uh, please subscribe on YouTube. We're at 81 subs. We're really close to getting a custom URL, which will definitely help. So please, if you haven't already, please subscribe on our YouTube. And if you have, share our podcast with somebody because that would help. Um, yeah. Uh, also follow us on Twitter. We tweet out all of our all of our videos and all that stuff and all of the happenings in the video game industry there as well. Uh, rate us and like us on iTunes. Our site's back up if you want to go there. Uh, we recently had a guest reviewer review Spectre of Torment, Jordan Boyd, who's been on the show before. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, we'll catch you guys next week. Bye.